Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Robin Call. Robin grew up on Long Island, graduated from Binghamton University, and has lived in Rhode Island since she was 22. She is famously known as a book pusher, fairy book mother, and all-around nice person. In 2002, after hosting author events and merchandising several local bookstores, Robin founded the highly regarded talk radio show Reading with Robin, which is now available on podcast. After the passing of her mother, Carol, in 1997, it became Robin's mission to educate women on the importance of early detection and advocate for them. In 2009, Robin and her sisters, Laura and Jennifer, established the Love Carol Foundation to honor their mother's memory and invest in types of projects that were important to her. In 2016, with the assistance of her cohort and daughter, Emily, she launched the now two times award-winning The Cardigan Connection, which was formerly Point Street Reading Series. It brings together people looking for a good story and fun night. Since COVID-19, Robin has shifted her focus to bringing engaging digital content to readers across the nation on social media and crowdcast. So welcome, Robin. I'm like mesmerized by that intro. Thank you, Meryl. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> all true. It's all true. Um, so before we discuss our favorite topic, books, <laughs> I need to bring up our Long Island, Rhode Island connection. You grew up on Long Island, but you've been in Rhode Island since you were 22. I grew up in Queens, but have been living on Long Island since I got married. And we've had a vacation home in Rhode Island for the past 20 years. I'm just wondering, how would you compare the two places? What's the difference? Do you have a preference? I'm just really curious about that. That's so interesting. And, you know, when you say Rhode Island, sometimes people think you say Long Island anyway. And before mm-hmm. I met my husband, I, I mean, I do have map skills. So I certainly knew that Rhode Island was a state on the way to, you know, Boston. Tiny, tiniest state, right? Tiniest <laughs> state with the biggest book club. Another story for another right. time. Oh, but, that's a good one. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, we're biggest book club, smallest state. I started that one last summer. I digress. But it's, you know, I came here, we got married, right? I was right out of college. And so I found my friends, my people. I, the first thing I did was join a Hadassah group. And my first gig was they. someone asked me to babysit because I was so much younger. <laughs> I literally was, I was like, this is just fabulous. I, my friends are in New York. They have all these great, you know, jobs and I'm babysitting for <laughs> kids in Rhode Island, but um, I did it twice. That was, that was enough for me, but I'm still friendly with the woman who asked me actually. So I joined organizations. I joined Women's American or, you know, and most of the women that I met when I first met, moved here were originally from New York and New Jersey. It's like, you find your people. Mm-hmm. And certainly 
uh, friends that grew up here as well. And, you know, we've, a lot of us have been friends for now 37 years, but um, it was sort of like being, I mean, my sister-in-law is also from Long Island. And so she um, paved the way for me 12 years prior. And so of course, what I heard was like, oh, you should have seen it in the seventies. So when you got here in 85, it was like, you know, a metropolis, which is, you know, also not true, but better than I guess it was. But I have adopted it for many, many years. I love Rhode Island. I have so many friends and people in different pieces of this state. I've, I've introduced my husband who grew up here his whole life to parts of the state he had never seen. Um, it's charming, it's creative, it's very insidery, but I kind of like that because you really get to, you know, I was at the governor's office the other day talking about something with, with um, a woman who is like special, this is only like Rhode Island, special service to the governor, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like book stuff, you know, so like you can maneuver in this state in a way um, that I can't imagine works as well, you know, in other places because it's so small, but we still have a million people, which is a lot of readers, Meryl. Um, but, you know, Long Island is, you know, sadly, when I go to Long Island now, it's usually for a funeral. Um, and that's sad. Most of our family, you know, they did the Boca migration. So that's long since been a thing. Um, but, you know, I head right over to the closest diner, pick up our bagels, you know, cruise down. Sunrise. So there's nothing like New York bagels, right? Yes, there is nothing. And I've gotten into like discussions with people who seem to have <laughs> one or two places here that will do. And it's really not a food that I need to be like consuming as much as like I would love to anyway. Oh, exactly. I used to eat bagels every day. Then I found out how many calories there were in them. Now it's very, once a month, maybe. And then you got to do the scoop, Meryl. You do the Long Island scoop. Oh, absolutely. Do you know, um, we do the scoop. Do you know that I somebody I know who um, belonged to a club on Long Island um, thought that that was, you know, they, they asked the, the, when they ordered it, they asked for it that way. I thought that that was a little presumptuous, I thought. Well, they will. I mean, I remember. They will now. This was a long time ago. They do that now? They were ahead of time. Oh yeah, like I, there was some deli um, in Roslyn, and you could order it scooped or not scooped. But but talk about being ahead. Maybe we of- should tell people what scooped means. Maybe everybody oh. will know, or you think everybody knows. Now, they take out the doughy best part of the bagel, and you save a whopping one hundred. Oh, Do- is it a hundred calories? That's what I heard. Who knows? And how many calories is in a bagel? Like two fifty, depending on how four. Oh, great. Oh, like a lot, like a real bagel. Yeah, like a Lenders piece of garbage bagel is like two something. Someone do they still make to- Lenders? I don't think they I- do. They, I think they, I don't know. People, please write in and let us know if lenders, <laughs> somebody will let us know. But I was just with my roommate from college and they live in New Jersey now, but, but I was there and what kind of bagel do you want? The whole thing. And I was so excited because I got my favorite, like the everything with the scallion cream cheese is the only mm. I'm going to have one. That's it. And they sat there, you know, but it's like the Weight Watcher points or whatever, and they're scooping. And I was like, I didn't say anything because, you know, we all grew up together and I, I don't judge, but I was actually, I was like, oh my God, just like one bagel every, you know, whatever, just like eat the damn thing. But I get it. I get it. Um, so, yeah. So, 
Um, so we are, our vacation home is in Narragansett. Um, there just seemed to me, right, right near Scarborough Beach, um, there seemed to me to be very few Jews there. There's a little, um, very little synagogue in, in a house. I'm, I'm wondering, do you have a, robo, a robust Jewish community uh, you, where you live? We do. Well, first of all, it's Scarborough. <laughs> Because Scarborough. Oh, Scarborough. Scarborough, right? Oh. So wait, Carol, I have to ask you, it's it's awful interviewing an interviewer. And believe me, I can appreciate that. But what brought you guys to Narragansett? Um, well, actually, my my in-laws made the the um migration to Boca <laughs> and they didn't um they didn't want to uh be there in the summer and um, they're, they're addicted they were may they rest in peace they were addicted to water every place they went had to be mm -hmm. on water so they went um up and down the northeast <laughs> and they found <laughs> this condo this and they condo. landed in Narragansett. They landed in Narragansett, which again is odd because like I said, there are really very few Jews there. There's nothing Jewish about Narragansett, but it's nice because you just, you go there and you're completely anonymous. And um, so then they, they died and um, they, my brother-in-law was in Ohio. My sister-in-law was in Paris and they weren't interested. So we <laughs> bought them out. And I mean, it's, it's, my kids love it. My kids sure. come up there, we go up there, you know, when the weather is nice, it's very beautiful. It's very peaceful. But I keep saying like, what are we doing in Narragansett? So funny because I met your daughter-in-law, right, Beth? Is, right, yes, I, I always Beth. thought she was like your sister. So I, oh, yeah. well, thank you. I yes, and I think I told you the story. I was having my hair done one day and talking to women in there, like over the blow dryers as I do. And one of the women from Newport was talking about how much her daughter loved Beth's book. So of course mm -hmm. I'm like, let's plan an event. And so I met um I met your daughter-in-law and your son. Oh, so yeah. Sweet. Well, Beth's, Beth's very, very talented. And um, yeah, my my brother said at my father's funeral, um, in our family, writing is a competitive sport. <laughs> because my, my husband is a journalist. Uh, my brother sure. is a writer. Uh, Beth is a writer. Those are my people. My and you know, other sons write. Um, and my daughter my daughter-in-law Lana is a poet. <laughs> wow, you really so like if you write a note like, you know, be back soon, going to pick up the paper, it's gotta be like a really special note. You can't uh, well, I I am always concerned about grammar, but my husband's the grammarian and he's he reads my books. He's a comma expert. I mean, I, I mean commas. Forget it. We I have the I have the arc now of my book that's coming out in April, Shadows We Carry. And he's reading it. And I said, just tell me what's egregious, you know. Well, this comma or that comma. It's amazing. So let's get back to you. Um, so you I find this amazing. Robert Call started out as a caller on a radio show, and you became your own book broadcasting enterprise. That's like a fantasy, a dream come true. So how did that happen, Robin? Well, you know, Beth, 
Thank you for, uh, that's one of my favorite questions because it really sort of brings me back to that time. I grew up on Long Island. My grandmother was a huge um, AM radio listener. You'll appreciate this little story. I'm not good at telling things in little bites, but you'll appreciate this because Long Island, she worked at Friendly Frost. Do you remember that store? I do. The appliance store, right? Yes. And they had their main office was in Westbury. The office, like she ran the office part, you know, the paperwork stuff. They did have a store attached. So one summer, the summer going into my senior year of high school, she, I had a summer job there with her, which was amazing. And because you're on Long Island, you will appreciate this is the commute. Grandmother lived in Amityville. I lived in Smithtown. Okay. The business was in West Perry. Only a grandmother would do this. She would wake up whatever time, I don't even know put her coffee on the dashboard. I still don't know how she was able to drive with a mug of coffee on a dashboard. You and mean without a cup holder? There were no cup holders in the 70s. <laughs> Did we have cup holders in 79? I don't know. No, it's, I don't think so. Yeah. It was like a flat, it must've been a flat dashboard because this is my aunts have corroborated. So they, so she would come and pick me up and then we would get on the Northern state to schlep to Westbury. So I don't know what time she left. Then we, you know, we would, I worked, um, you know, maybe 10 weeks that summer and she would take me to lunch. We would go to Roosevelt Field. We would go to the diner on Old Country Road. Oh, I I don't, I think that diner just shut down during (gasps) the pandemic. Oh no. I'm sure there's another one, two tenths of a mile down. So, so we would, um, and then she would do the reverse commute to take me home and then I don't know what time she got back to Amityville late, but a grandmother, right. But, but on the way home, she would put on the radio and she liked to listen to whatever AM 660 Mm -hmm. or 1010, but like that noise was so grating to me. And I was, a teenager. So I wanted LIR on. And so we would listen to my punk music and cause she was great. <laughs> and I would then fall asleep and then she would try and change the radio station and I would wake up. So all this is to say that when I found myself listening to talk radio in Rhode Island, she thought that was hilarious because I was just, you know, I couldn't even handle that noise. So I was working, um, doing some, working with my sister, and it required me to sort of be at the desk, be at home when my kids were at school. I did it for a short time, but I started listening to the radio, and I found a funny show, and I thought that the talk show host was very clever, and it was a lot of like inside Rhode Island stuff and social mm-hmm. commentary, and um, so I started talking to the radio, then started picking up the phone, then became a regular caller or featured caller. And then I wormed my way into the radio station. Um, so after, you know, a little bit of this, I thought I can do this and I would love to chat with authors. That's That part is abbreviated. I wanted to spend more time I'm in Westbury with you, Meryl. Um, so <laughs> so that's, that's what happened. I did produce, I was product, I did production for a few months to sort of learn how the radio station worked. And the, the gentleman who ran the radio show, his idea for me was to be his producer. My idea for me was to, of course, do my own show. And when I pitched the idea, the, um, the director of the station thought, 
you know, we'd love you to do something on the radio. You're very funny. They thought, you know, I was clever and all that, but they were like, do people read, you know, are you going to be reading with Robin? You'd be reading to people like they didn't get it. And I said, just like, don't worry about it. Um, I have it all figured out. And I sold the idea to uh, this guy, Ken Delgarian, who owned College Hill Bookstores at by Brown University. And he was like, sure, whatever, Robin. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I started the, I did my first show November 23rd, 2002. And uh, it was, you know, I, I broke it up into four chapters and some of the guests were calling. Some of the guests were in studio. I had authors who drove in from, I had one author that drove from Virginia. It was a guy, I can't come up with his <laughs> And he really wanted to come to the studio. I was well, like, of course he did. <laughs> I told him, I'm like, you can literally call. Then, then he did a screenplay, but something, and he was in the Rhode Island Film Festival. He probably had another agenda. But I remember Amanda Air Ward at the time lived on the Cape. She came, and my show was on at 7 a.m. Oh so, my goodness. I have yeah. so many questions as follow-up to that. To oh, that. I know I just didn't take a breath, Meryl. Go ahead, go for the I still have well, more um, about Okay, let me ask you, they, they, you, it was, you can, you're so adorable. You can have a show about anything you want. And how did you, why did you come up with books? I am, that's very kind of you to say I'm adorable. It's, you know, turning 60 <laughs> in May and to be thought of as adorable, you know, <laughs> might drop Meryl. So I was always a reader. I was that kid. In, I was always like an advanced reader. What else can I read? I was very friendly with Mrs. DeWeese, who was our librarian in elementary school. She was the one that hid the Judy Bloom books for me. I've told the story. So some people have heard it or read it because, you know, when you tell the story that's true, it, it's the same story. But, um, you know, I, I was that kid. I was always my mother was a big reader. My aunt was a big reader. Um, so that got passed down to us. My mother always had a book on the, or two on the nightstand. If we were going to a dentist appointment, it was like, someone run up and get my book. You know, there was, it was always like, have a book nearby. You never know when you're going to be like, oh, I wish I had my book. So, you know, I just loved reading so much. And you know, in college, you know, it wasn't the same time for just pleasure reading. And then when my kids were small, but at some point, um, my I was saying, I, I think I picked up maybe around 92, 93, I really, I had a few friends that were big readers. We didn't have a book club, but we talked about books a lot. So I just really re-engaged with that piece of myself where I just, you know, getting lost in a book or knowing you have like the best book possible to come home to that feeling. And so when I was thinking about what would I want to talk about, I thought, you know, authors are so entertaining. They're such, you know, they're, they're smart, they're travelers, they're great eavesdroppers, like who better to speak with. And, and a lot of times, you know, obviously we talk about the book, but there's so much else to talk about. And when my kids were in school, I would do the, um, the book fairs, I would pick out the books. And I was on the board at the Providence Public Library, I guess that was 99, 2000. So it was before I did the show. So I was sort of immersed. We brought Jody Pico here. Mm -hmm. Island she, in she's from Smithtown. No kidding. Do you know how we met? <laughs> in, high, in high school? No, no, she, she's a few years younger than I am. And she went to Smithtown East, I went to West. Uh -huh. I, I was a big fan of The Pact, I think was the first book I read. And I sent her 
um, an email and the title and the subject was East sucks, West rules, which is such a Long Island thing to say and so immature. And she- you know, I worked in the Smithtown School District. And where? I didn't know that. I would, well, not when you were there, but I was, um, I was in central office and um, I was an assistant superintendent. And um, my, one of the superintendents had gone through, you know, he had been principal and everything. And his, his claim to fame was that Jody Pagol went to the yeah. Smithtown school. Every, everybody loved that piece. Well, my friends owned the Smithtown News, the Paley's. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, them. so you know Dave Ambro? The, he's the son-in-law, right. Dave is wonderful. He, oh, he gave me great publicity on, on my first book. He, oh, well, I, I mean, Liz, Liz is one of my best friends. We were just out the other night. She lives up, she lives in Concord, but I was, I was actually sadly there for um, Bernie's uh, memorial. Um, I grew up with Jennifer. So, of course, course. well, um, I used to, um, you know, I was, at the board meetings and so was he so mm -hmm. and and I was the press liaison so there you go yeah we uh, yeah. So, well I spent a lot of time obviously at the Smithtown library I still have all of my summer reading charts all of that but so Jody I didn't know I didn't know you know it wasn't something I would have been aware of back then but my cousin had sent me an article and said did you know she was from Smithtown that's when I sent her the email and so we've been friends for 20 years now I've hosted her many times and when she wrote my sister's keeper which she sent in Rhode Island she would send me AOL instant messages back oh, in the day that that's that's going that's going way back so yeah. you you know I saw in your bio that you studied sociology in college so I was wondering um oh, if, you were, <laughs> if you were on your school's radio station back then that my husband was that was his the highlight of his college career uh, you know, being on the radio station um and what was the career you envisioned for yourself back then none no plan zero zilch no you just went to get a liberal arts so so you met your husband when you were really young and you were just getting married and you know what Meryl it's this is something I grapple with and I look back so when I went to school like you go to school you go to college and you know I didn't have a specific plan so we were told you'll go to a state school which was great and we went to my sister and I both went to Binghamton was the best one at the time I think you know, I, I think it still is I think it still is because you know we did really well in high school did well on my scores and I was a great student you know whatever but as far as like a career it, it I, I would say to my my sec my middle sister like she got a memo that I just I wanted to do what my mom did because my mom and I were so close and I just had that mentality of like you find that guy the right guy, you get married. And I, that was my plan. I took sociology because I'm fascinated with the study of people. I did a lot of women's studies and Judaic studies because I figured maybe there'd be a Jewish guy in my class that would be cute. Mm. That was my, I'm going back to when I was 18, 19. Mm -hmm. I stick my 60 year old head back in that head. I'm like a little, you know, it's, it's nothing I recommend. We were lucky it worked out, but I, I actually had one interview with um, Lord and Taylor 
fresh uh, senior year because I was very into fashion and I thought maybe fashion merchandising, I live in New York, like, you know, that girl or something. But I really never got that invested in what that was going to look like. I met my husband on a blind date before my senior year of college, and we were engaged 11 weeks later. And while everybody was going off for their jobs, I was at Fortune Ops registering for my China <laughs> and uh, going to, with my roommates to look at bridal dresses. And I graduated in May and the engagement party was in June. The shower was at the end of June. The wedding was a year to the day that we met. Uh wow so Meryl so what was I going to do with that education but I will tell you I started a sorority when I was in college um there were no sororities in college in at Binghamton at the time there was a there was a business sorority uh fraternity there was a black students organization fraternity and there were there was one sorority, one fraternity that were just uh, local chapters, and I wasn't interested in joining those women. So I decided and woke up my roommate, who was a very serious school of management student <laughs> and still a best friend, that we were going to start a sorority and that we had to go up in front of the Greek council like the next day. So I was always organizing people. Um, and so the skill set, I guess in being very social and organizing people and sort of getting things done. That was a lot of what I did in college, just in general. And that translated to like what I do now or when my kids were little. And well, you're very, you're very blessed that you can do something that you're so suited for and, and that you love doing. So you have, as anybody can hear, an amazing um, conversational style that draws people in and makes them feel comfortable. Do you think that's the secret of your success or is it something else? I think that um, I know that when I listen to conversations and I want to be drawn in and what I hear from people is they feel like they're part of the conversation or I'll hear, did you know that author? It feels like you've known each other forever. Was that a friend? I am such a people person that I, I would say, yes, that probably is what it is. I'm genuinely interested. I try to get better at listening and then doing, I, I do very little prep. I used to do so much prep and now it's more, you know, well, when you asked me about questions, I was like, what, you know, we'll just talk. But right. uh, it's, I love finding the connections whether it's somebody I meet in an airport, online somewhere, you know, if I'm the mood, sometimes, believe it or not, I'm, I'm quiet, <laughs> but I, I find people fascinating. And there's always these, you know, I knew about Narragansett because you and I talked about it and I had met Beth, but like, that's so interesting to me. And even, you know, I know people that are listening are, are from all over, but a lot of people have some kind of connection especially if they're Jewish, you know, to New York, to Long Island. So it's like finding those familiar um, pieces and those connections that uh, is what I do with reading, is what I do with the authors. Um, I always say, like, I can't believe that I just found this out. If I had just spoken for 10 minutes less, I never would have known. Right, you know, right. That. And, and, and some just dazzling connections and people that... Um, that I've met and that become part of all of this forever, you know, my, in the family now, um, you know, I, I love that. So, yeah, I would think that that is, um, and I'm so, a, 
yeah, and I'm also a close reader. Um, but I, I always say, you know, my, my show is not AP English. I'm not quizzing anybody. People will ask me for recommendations. And, and at some point, I'm just like, I remember I love this book. Please don't. You know, people will post that. What's it about? And I'm like, come on, I'm, just look it up. I, I'm telling you, you'll love it. I, I don't remember. <laughs> so let me ask you, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, Jewish books and Jewish authors. I actually posted um, a question on um, on my Facebook group, Jews Love to Read, this week, uh, What's a Jewish Writer? And it was in response um, there's a documentary on PBS now, which is, um, if you're interested, it's very good. It's about Saul Bellow, oh, and, okay. uh, a very famous novelist. And he did not want to be referred to as a Jewish writer. I'm sure that had something to do with the times in, in which he lived. But I'm, I'm wondering, um, what, what do you think um, makes a book Jewish. You know, that's so interesting. I wrote down to watch Saul Bellow. And I, I do think that probably was a sign of the times. And I hate to say it, maybe also as a guy, more mm -hmm. than a woman would be mm -hmm. like that, if I can generalize. Mm -hmm. um, I, there are so many Jewish writers, it would seem. I don't know, you know, I don't know numbers. I don't you think know there are more today than there used to be. No, I just think it's a Jewish thing to do. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. It feels like some of my favorite writers, screenwriters, uh, you know, poets, authors, nonfiction, a lot of them are Jewish. And to that end, and certainly in the last few years, I've done a lot to prioritize voices, you know, uh, you know, authors of color and um, and gender variation, all of this. Like, I think a lot of us, you know, in the last three years, publishing has caught on. There are more books to choose from. So like, that's a whole other topic. But um, when I look at some of the books that I grew up loving, I mean, Judy Bloom was my first favorite, you know, um, and the books that we pick out at Sunday School Book Fair, or, you know, a lot of those were Jewish. But um, I read such a wide range. And when I look around, it isn't hard to pick up. Like when I did the piece for the Jewish paper here in Rhode Island to pluck, they wanted to see some of the books. So I was plucking them off the shelf. It wasn't hard to find. And I actually, I'm sitting amongst many, including your galley, because I figured, you know, we would talk about that. Oh. So my are, are all over the place in terms of that, but, but there are a lot of Jewish authors and and a lot of, uh, you know, I know a lot of the JBC gang and, and that whole, you know, and they're just are, I don't know, I think they're just are, are more writers, period, now. So. Okay. And, and, and I think what, we are proud to think make the book Jewish. I mean, he, yeah, Jewish, I'm mean, the JBC defines it, uh, you know, to go to, to be a part of their, Network, you are either a Jewish author and you can write about anything, or you're not a Jewish author, but your book has Jewish content. Do you, do you agree with that definition? Yeah. I mean, I think of, yes, and I do know that. I'm sorry, I was just making sure that I wasn't running out of battery. Um, 
Yes, I do know there are books that are of Jewish content where the author maybe identifies with being Jewish or at some level there. I, I feel like maybe the, I don't know, far be it for me to, to say what the JBC should be doing. I'm trying to think of authors off the top of my head who aren't Jewish, who write heavily Jewish content. Can you think of, like, I can't think of, man, I, I can't think of anybody off the, I think of them mostly. Well, I know, you know, having, participated in it there there are there are a number i you know i i can't (laughs) i wish i so well uh you know anybody who's written Kristen hannah um right that's true you know anybody who's written uh about the holocaust right that's true so they right um yeah i guess that's fine because it's when an author who's not jewish is writing heavily about the holocaust we would think, you know, we know the research is insanely intense. They would come to an event and be able to speak to it. Kind of think, yeah, I guess that's fine. I I guess that's a whole other topic because I, you know, as someone who's, who writes post-Holocaust novels, I feel very, very passionately, uh, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, that if you're writing about that era, during or post it you have to do meticulous research have to be accurate you cannot make stuff up and that there was that netflix series the the cap captors or the captives where they just made it up and it is so upsetting so upsetting yeah they have to be authentic it's enough terrible stuff you don't have to make it up this is true, Meryl. And I think that, you know, it, I know you're talking JBC specifically, but it's the same idea of people writing books. And it's like, is that your story to tell? You know, like that gets very tricky. So in the same vein, and I, I know the JBC goes to a lot of trouble to vet people to, you know, like, I'll never forget Anita Diamond telling me what it was like the first time she went up in front of that. I was like, they sound like the elders of Zion. <laughs> it's so scary. It was uh, like 2003 or four. It was a long time ago. And, and I remember her saying, you know, at this point, you know, she's just on their list. She's like, I'm not going up in front of that again. <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 you know, it's, I did, I did it once in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it virtually uh, last time and um, I'll do it again. Um, and it, I think they're going to keep it virtual. Um, it's it's just look you as an author you have to um, be able to speak in public and you have to, it's basically giving an elevator uh, pitch about your book. Oh, you I know. I think they, so, yeah, I, but but, it, but they they're that you're you know you have an amazing opportunity um, you know to present to all these. Uh, representatives of of different of different venues so it's amazing so I think it's I think it's um I think it's it's very valuable so you um so as you said you were a pioneer starting 20 years ago Mm -hmm. but now especially (laughs) since the pandemic there's been a proliferation of book clubs and groups and broadcasts. So I'm I'm wondering two things. How do you feel about that? And how has the pandemic impacted what you're doing? Um, Well, I feel like, you know, the more books, 
the better. You know, getting books out there and having more places to, um, you know, to have more platforms for books. Because as we know, there's less in print, there's less in magazines, there's just, you know, that's been a sad decline for a while, how much space is given to books. I will say that you know, not all broadcasts or TikTok venues or Instagrams are created equally. And because there's, this is a little insider baseball, Meryl, like some of it's just not as authentic as I wish it was. You know, I mean, some of the people who are writing reviews and say, like, it, they're not probably reading five books a day, just my guess. So how many, how many books do you read a day? Oh, no, I'm just saying that there are people that's oh, oh, that, oh. They're writing reviews and I'm like, I, they copy. How oh, could you read five know. books a day, right? No, I read two to three, something, you know, that's two to three. It depends if I'm really into a book and I can't put it down. I've been known to read a book in an afternoon, of course, but, um, you know, I, I don't read crazy numbers of books because I do other things. So, I mean, I just got back from a trip I came with a lofty goal of three books. I didn't read a page, literally did not read a page. I was too in the moment, but I, you know, you always have to have them just in case. And, um, but, but back to your question. So I think some, you know, not all sites are created equal. There are some that I love uh, to follow and, you know, it's a nice sort of back and forth and, sharing, uh, you know, I get asked a lot of questions and I share what I can and, you know, not really technical stuff, but just, you know, basic questions I've gotten um, through the years. Um, and I think, I just think there's a lot of, um, I think some authors are on so frequently that it probably dilutes the message. You know, I think I think in the beginning, people didn't really know how things were going to go. So everybody was sort of saying yes to everything. And then, you know, the bookstores were sort of jumping in or like organizing themselves to do these events. Like people were figuring that out in real time. Publishers were figuring it out in real time, you know, how because they want to sell books. So I don't know how many, I don't know how you really quantify and it, book sales, are, you know, that's not what I do. I'm bringing content. So I don't know if all of this additional content and um, shows and all of this is, is helping that ultimately. It may be, you know, wonderful content to listen to. I don't know if it translates into book sales. Authors would know that better, you know, like where, where time is best spent. Well, you can really never tell. <laughs> you can you never, know, you really can. You're selling, you're selling, but, you know, you really... You can never be sure. You can guess, but I don't think you really yeah, ever, ever know. Everyone's doing a lot of guessing, that's for sure. And I think, um, I think one of the unfortunate things, like we all, like, no one's in a vacuum, you know. And certain shows have taken certain like time slots, and then there have been some other people who are like, "Oh, I'll take that same time slot." And it's like, "Well, did you know someone else did?" Like, so I don't know. There might be some of that which is why I like, you know, I've been doing the Instagram lives in the beginning. I did an inordinate amount, just, it was this idea of like, let's get everybody on all these books are out. And it kept me a little stain. I had to put on lipstick, you know, it served a purpose. And then as the years went on, you know, I was sort of scaling back and trying to decide, you know, like I'm always doing the reset. What do I want this to look like? And, and I actually am going to go back to the true podcast format, which is what I was doing before. 
COVID. You and are. When, it, when uh, are you going to do that? Soon? Yeah, January. I mean, I, I right now I'm on live on Thursdays. I've taken a break because it's the holiday, but um, I, I think I'll pop on when I want to or if there's a special reason to. But I, I think I want to go back to, you know, when I was on radio, that was sort of what, you know, then it, that became a podcast. And then when I left in 2012, they were straight podcasts and those are all on Apple. And so I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always thinking what's next, you know, or when it feels in my gut, like it's time to make a change. It usually is. And I, and I love, you know, seeing the people who pop on live and that's, really fun I was doing it five days a week I was doing two days a week it was just you know I get very excited and there are all these books that I want to share but I think uh I'm pretty sure that's the direction I'm going in and and to your point about selling books the only way I know for sure I do have a bookshop.org link and and sometimes I share it sometimes I don't remember to but people do sometimes support that but when I host my in-person in live events, I always include the book with the ticket. So for those events, I can, I absolutely. Well, that I think, I think, you know, that that's where authors maybe have lost out a little during the pandemic because yeah. on Zoom, you know, you never know whether the people are buying the book or not. When, it, when it's part of an event, then, you know, it's either in the cost or you're, or you're at a table there selling and signing. And yeah. I think you have a better opportunity uh, to sell books than you're writing. Mm -hmm. Well, I always do. I actually only do events where the book is part of the ticket, unless I'm hosting an event with several authors. And then I usually include at least one book and then discount the others. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me that when authors are on tour and giving their time that the book sell, you know, so that's, that's just the way I've done it. And I, I've seen people, I've seen a few people post recently on Twitter, not that I'm on Twitter a lot, but I, every once in a while I poke on mostly to see what to watch on Netflix. And a few <laughs> they were opining about, I went to this event, there were three people there. I went to, and I'm like, I, I just don't understand a bookstore not, either doing a, a registration where there's some fee where they can take the fee off of a purchase or something like, I think gone are the days where it's like, well, two people showed up, but they were the important two. Like our time is too valuable. Like, <laughs> I've heard that. I mean, and, you know, and I get then the backstory of like, you know, so because, you know, and I think the people with the online, it was, this, and that's still our time, of course, but there was this like, well, I'm not, you know, getting in a car, driving an hour, sitting for two. Right, right, right. You know, so they're like, well, I can accomplish a lot in a half an hour. But so I think there was a false sense of a lot of uh, movement because it was so much better than, not so much better because there's nothing like being in person, but for time's sake, you know, you that could- That is true. People. That is true. I mean, I was in Canada. I was in Israel. <laughs> I was Jeez. in California and Wisconsin. You know, what, what would have that, you know, time, money, right? You know, All so of it. And, and, you know, Meryl, I think one of the things I found, and I, you know, I get very close to my readers, my listeners. It's always been that way for years. Mm -hmm. I might not remember someone's name 
exactly when I see them, but I will know their email address or the or something about them. But I was at the book fair in Morristown and a woman came over and said, oh my God, I want a book this summer. And when she told me the story, I said, yeah, I totally remember that because she had just been sick. And I said, then you win. But she came over to me and I remembered her email address, but I couldn't have told you her name. But I, you know, I, I stay very connected in that way. And so for some people, they live in a spot in a town or wherever where they're never going to get authors coming through. So the online is it is indescribably fabulous for some of these people. Yeah, and I found also, you know, I did a I did a lot of book clubs, and that was great because yeah. they had read the book. So, you know that that was, I I think that was great. You know, have authors, uh, you know, Zoom virtually class book clubs. Um, so, Robin, yeah. our, our time is is coming to a close now. Is there anything else you'd like to share? That we okay. have well, I will say that there are a lot more Jews in Narragansett than you would think. Um, <laughs> this is where I go back and finish every thought that I had in my head. Um, <laughs> no, but Meryl, the funny thing is, another thing when you asked about Long Island, Rhode Island, and, and I love them both, you know, they were different parts of my life, but I could not love Rhode Island anymore. What I one of the funniest things that I found in Rhode Island is you could live in Providence and have a summer home 23 minutes away in Narragansett. That yeah, is, well, up there's somebody who lives in our community who has a home in Cranston. Yes, no, I'm telling yeah, 25. I'm like, how is that? I have a dear friend and they pack up and they move down, down the beach. Um, and that's, and I'm, and they're, and they won't go back to, I'm like, really, you won't, you know, they will only go as far as like where we live here in East Greenwich. Cause we're about 25 minutes from Narragansett maybe. Um, yeah, I've, I've been it's hilarious. Okay. That's where I am. It's, and I can't wait to see you this summer, Meryl. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, trouble we can get into in person. But I, I think that that is, uh, but there is a tiny temple because we did go to a bat mitzvah there, but also there's a temple in East Greenwich and there's also a temple in Middletown, which I didn't know. And, oh, then, of really? course, and then of course, Newport, but there are a lot more Jewish people in Rhode Island. I mean, there were, I, you know, my husband, and I lived in Providence on the East side. And so that's, you know, where our temple is and that's where a lot of Jewish people are, but they're all over and the Chabad is very active. Well, Chabad is everywhere. <laughs> they are, I, yeah, they got it sewn up. I was at the state house and they've got, they're there. They've got their manures everywhere. But I think there are a lot, I don't have stats, but it would seem that there are a lot more Jewish people here than than there were because you can tell what they're carrying in the stores I mean, you can and get Rod, roger williams right this was the colony for religious freedom right that's the way the history was told to us yes yeah. so um last question robin where can people find you online they the uh they can go to robincall.com on instagram where i am a lot it's robin call inc I-N-K, and then Facebook is Reading with Robin. And there are all these links from my uh, from my website. So thank you for asking. I'm really not on Twitter, but, and my daughter is dragging me into the TikTok uh, extravaganza. We'll see how that works, but I think I'm reading with Robin also there. Um, and Meryl, this was so much fun. You didn't ask me what I was reading. 
Oh, what are you? Not, what I don't you? know, but like, I can't believe <laughs> you don't recommendation. I pulled all of my most recent Jewish books. Well, Don't Miss Small World by Laura Zygman. It comes out in January. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Audrey Hepburn Estate, of course, by Brenda Janowitz, who I love. Love. Mm-hmm. And um, Daughters of Nantucket, which is Julie Gerstenblatt's brand new. Uh, it's her debut and it comes out in the spring. But but one of my favorite books in the past, well, Linda Loigman's The Matchmaker's Gift. I've been telling everybody because I loved it to pieces. I've given that to so many people, but don't miss Somebody Feed Phil, the book. If you're not watching Phil Rosenthal on TV. Oh, oh. Are you watching him? No, thank you for reminding me. Oh my God, Meryl. I, mean, I still watch the reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond. That was my mother's favorite show. Um, that's one of my comfort shows at night when I just want to watch so something. Comforting. Absolutely. I love that. But read, um, but watch it. He's on Netflix. I think there's six seasons. He travels oh, yeah. all okay. over. He's hilarious. And then there's a book called Somebody Feed Phil the Book, and it's and it's his exploits and there's recipes and all of his trips, but he's adorable and is, I won't say more, but don't miss it. It's really fabulous. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Robin Call. Robin is the host of Reading with Robin and the Cardigan Connection. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack, People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Men. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, will be published in April. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.